Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're sharing our bookish superlatives for 2022. To hear more bookish superlatives that didn't make the cut for today's episode, go to patreon.com slash novel pairings and join our nerdy reading community. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. Happy end of the year reading wrap-up season. I love reading wrap-up season. It makes me, me a too. little anxious. I'm not going to do my traditional um, disclaimer about favorites and superlatives this year. <laughs> <laughs> that's one sure? I'm sure that's one reason this season makes me a little anxious but also this year in particular there are so many 2022 releases that I just didn't get to but I want to read and I I, I mean I have plenty of time to get to them they, I you know the books don't expire at the end of this year but I'm just trying to figure out which ones I want to make sure to fit in as as we wind down the year. Yeah, we're recording this on December 1st and I just finished a couple of books and having that sort of currently reading queue cleared now and having the possibilities open to me is I'm feeling really overwhelmed that I'm like, oh my goodness, I want to read something really good to close out the year. I want to read something really good in December. Even though like we're recording this reading wrap up in December. Like it's, it is, like you said, it's not the end of the year. And so I'm feeling this pressure to like, oh, really read something good. And I'm trying to release that because at the same time, there's always next year too. There's always next year. And like so. the, you know, it's, I, I love the reading wrap ups. It's fun to like look at stats. It's fun to, to think about the year of reading. But like, for example, I just posted a book review on my Fiction Matters Instagram today in this like little infographic format type of thing that I was like saving for the start of next year. It's like, that's so silly. Like it's so <laughs> arbitrary. I can like start, you know, something new now, or I can feel like wrapped up with my 2022 reading now and think of it. It just, yeah. I mean, these dates are obviously meaningful, but they don't have to be meaningful markers of our reading lives either. Yeah. Time is literally, <laughs> time is made up. <laughs> time is made up. Now let's talk about our best books of the year. <laughs> we are such a conundrum, Sarah. <laughs> I would love to hear overall though, reflecting on your 2022 reading life, how was your reading life? What did you learn or find different or just What's the overview of your 2022 reading year? Better than expected, I think, is kind of the theme of my 2022 reading. I I generally, when I think about like best books of the year or superlatives, I tend to try and start by like not even looking back at what I read and just like, what do I remember reading? Like what's still percolating in my mind? I did do a little bit of that for today's episode, but the way my brain works now with having a one-year-old, that's really not a fair depiction of my reading. I had to go back <laughs> yeah. and look at my lists because I couldn't remember 
some of what I read towards the beginning of the year. And I'm so glad I did because I read some great books earlier in the year that were memorable. Like as soon as I saw the title, like all of these emotions and thoughts came came flooding back. But just so, so much life has been lived between then and now that they kind of got pushed to the back burner. I would say that looking back at my lists, January and February were really slow reading months, both in terms of quantity and quality of my books. March, which is, I think, was that when the babies were like five months-ish? That sounds about right. Things started picking up a little bit for me there. Not necessarily like I was reading tons of books, but I could get back into the type of book I tend to enjoy. And so my quality improved. I definitely hit some reading ruts throughout the year and felt like re, I I think right now I'm in this point where I'm feeling very re-inspired. I know both of us loved a recent Ezra Klein podcast episode with Marianne Wolf, um, who's the author of Proust and the Squid and Reader Come Home. And I'm kind of like trying to seize on that for how do I want to close out my, my reading year. And that's been really inspiring. So that's a that's a rundown of my reading year. I mean, that's not a rundown. Like you've really thought about this. That's a really lovely reflection. And I I love hearing hearing your reflections on on reading. This is why these are some of my favorite episodes to record with you. It's so fun to look back. It is. Um okay, my reading life. So you mentioned quality versus quantity a couple of times. And those are definitely the terms I can use here. I would say 2022 was a year of quality over quantity for me, which is which is good. Totally fine. Um, I was actually really surprised when I was looking back at the books I read, just how many books I really loved, would recommend, thought were great. Because I felt like, oh, I'm not going to remember a lot of this or, oh, I feel like I'm not reading nearly as much as I usually do. And part of that is true. But overall, when I looked back, I was like, this was a good, solid reading year. And I have a lot of books to recommend and a good handful that I I could carry on as favorites or, you know, books I'd recommend over and over again. So that was, that was good. I typically read anywhere from like 120 to 127 books a year. That's more (laughs) typical to me. And this year so far, it's, I think I just looked at my story graph. It's about 80. So that's like a, a chunk missing from the quantity of my typical reading. But I still read a lot of books. Like <laughs> I have to keep telling myself that um, this is a completely outrageous number to a lot of people. That would be like you read eighty books, and your kid is how old again? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I can't be so hard on myself or compare um, in my usual terms. Um, thank the Lord for audiobooks. I, I think you feel the same. <laughs> we could not have a book podcast. I could not be a reader without audiobooks at this point in my life. So they really rescued my reading life. I think the probably the majority of the books that I'll talk about today I listened to on audio. So yeah, it's just, it, it was a very different reading year for me. 
but overall it was a pretty good one. I wholeheartedly agree about audiobooks. I don't know what my book count is right now. I just, in terms of how I've been tracking my reading, I just keep month by month in my notes app on my phone. And then for this episode, I started putting them into Goodreads um, because seeing the covers jogs my memory. So Mm -hmm. I like the Goodreads format of being able to just scroll down, see all the little covers. But I'm going to have to either, either by looking at that or doing some sort of master list, figure out how many books I read because I genuinely have no idea. I probably and how many were audio? Oh, like ninety percent, I would say. I mean, I think that's such a fascinating statistic, and that has been I've been trending towards more audio for the last five years. I would say I feel like my audiobook listening has increased with every year, but this year. That's practically the only way that I read. Yeah, same. And I'll make note of that as we go through because there were some that I read on the page. And I will say, interestingly, maybe some of my favorites ended up being things I read on the page, which might just say more uh, about like, I, I actually, I don't know what that that says. But I do, I think, tend to prefer my very deep literary you know, dense kind of writing to be on the page. And those often tend to rise to the top for me. So it's probably not even really about the format so much as when I do pick up a paper book, it often tends to be something that was going to end up in my favorites (laughs) list anyways. All right, let's get into these superlatives. So we, we call this episode our best books of the year, but We're not just sharing books we loved. We are sharing books that we want to talk about for various reasons. And so we have little superlative titles to give these. The first superlative is a book that lived up to its hype. Sarah, what books lived up to the hype for you this year? Okay. The the big one for me, well, two big ones. Um, The first is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And Chelsea, you put this as your didn't live up to the hype book. And then I see that you removed (laughs) it from the spreadsheet. And I was excited to talk about it with you. (laughs) So I had to really quibble with my definitions of hype. Mm -hmm. We (laughs) have a Patreon episode addressing this that we can link to in the show notes. We have a lot of thoughts on (laughs) hype. Um. And what was meeting my expectations versus what lived up to its hype. And so I think tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow maybe didn't live up to all of my expectations. I still really liked it, but maybe it did live up to its hype in terms of like how it was marketed, what readers were saying about it. Mm, Okay. So that's why I changed it. All right. Well, I mean, I I think we... (laughs) We're English majors. We like parse every word of these superlatives. (laughs) We take it very seriously. We can't help it. Yeah, this one. So actually, interestingly, that's the reason I put down two. So my first was tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I loved it. I feel like it was definitely a bookstagram darling. It was all over my, my feed. I've seen it on many people's best of the year lists. I think a lot of readers who thought, I never want to read about video games, ended up loving it anyways. I love 
any story about making art and reflection on that. And I thought it really worked for me in that regard. I didn't think it was a perfect book. I thought it lagged in some places. There were some plot choices that I kind of side-eyed, but I just, I loved the reading experience. I loved the characters. I was totally swept away by it. Also, in looking at my lists, I read this book in May. It didn't come out until July. And so I think part of it was there the marketing hype was there. Like people were excited mm-hmm. about this book already in May. But when I read it, I remember wondering, like, I wonder if people are going to like this as much as the marketing mm-hmm. push is telling us we're going to, because it's very different than Gabrielle Zevin's other books. And so I think that's part of why it works so well for me, but also why maybe it isn't the perfect book for this category, because there wasn't the hype to live up to when I read it. So my second choice is Babel by R.F. Kuang, which I read just recently after many, many people had been raving about it and seen great reviews and wonderful things on, on Bookstagram. And I really liked this book for what the marketing said about it, which was that it was a like response to books like Um, The Secret History and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. To me, it felt very much like a thought-out, purposeful response to a lot of modern classics. And I thought it really worked for that. I have heard other readers who wanted it more for like that fantasy escape, and it didn't work for them as well. So I think it depends what hype you're listening to, whether Babel will work for you. But for me, it was a great, um, great campus novel in conversation with other books I enjoy or think a lot about. So those are my two that lived up to the hype. I'm glad that you talked a little bit more about Babel because that was at the top of my list for possibly getting for Curtis for Christmas. Mm. But I don't know if he would love it if it's not as fantasy heavy and a little bit more literary. Yeah, I would say... That's that's my take on it. Other readers might disagree. Um, I would say the world just has kind of like slight magical realism that seems to be like pretty heavily allegorical for real world issues and colonialism and things like that. I think you might like it, actually. I was going to say, so I will like <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I should get it for myself yes, for Christmas. Yes, I think so. And then Curtis can read it if he wants to. But it's not yeah. high fantasy. It's it's pretty, It's I don't know if subtle is the right word. But um, yeah, I, I think you would like it. Curtis would probably like it. But it, I don't mm-hmm. think it's in the the vein of his typical fantasy novels. Okay. Good to clarify. <laughs> um, a book that lived up to the hype for me was Bomb Shelter by Mary Laura Philpot. And uh, sometimes I really struggle to know which books are considered hyped up. Um, but I feel like this one was fairly hyped, especially because Mary Laura Philpot is like an independent bookstore darling. Yeah. Um, she worked at Parnassus Independent Bookstore 
owners really love her. She's she's fantastic to have um, for events. And so I do feel like there was a lot of indie bookstore hype around this book. And I heard about it on quite a few podcasts as well. So Bomb Shelter by Mary Laura Philpott. Um, this is, well, this is, was this her second or third collection of essays? But um, I Miss You When I Blink was like her main like coming out party like hey Mm -hmm. this is this is who I am as an author this is a popular book and I I think Bomb Shelter was much anticipated for people who really loved that essay collection and I I loved Bomb Shelter I think she's a fabulous writer I love essay collections so for me personally I do think that this this lived up and I think that her essays in Bomb Shelter were fabulous and and matured from her previous work in a in a lovely way and so yeah bomb shelter for me lived up to its hype i love that and i agree it was hyped it was on a lot of anticipated release lists and summer reading guides and yeah i i think it was great all right what didn't live up to the hype uh, for me, Book Lovers <laughs> by Emily Henry did not live up to the hype. And look, all of her books are going to get hype. Yeah. Because she's got she's got like a literary Taylor Swift fan base at this point. Like <laughs> the TikTok romance readers love her books. Like she's she's a very popular author after her first few rom-coms. And so all of her books are going to get that hype and not every single one is going to hit the same um, for every reader. And Book Lovers was just not my favorite compared to Beach Read, which I loved, and People We Meet on Vacation, which I also loved. So this one just didn't quite live up to my expectations based on her other two rom-coms, um, but also just the the hype surrounding it, which, like I said, she's going to get every summer, and rightfully so. I think she's a, a great writer, and her books are super summery and fun. Yeah, I I completely agree. We talked more about book lovers on a Patreon episode. Um, we're we're aligned on this one. Um, for me, the book that didn't live up to the hype is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Did you try this one? I haven't. I think I might have the audiobook from Libro FM, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not automatically appealing to me. Yeah, so. fair. I, I'm not sure it was automatically appealing to me either. It's a retelling of David Copperfield, which is a Dickens book that I'm very familiar with the story, though I have not read the book in its entirety. But a um, Dickens retelling doesn't like rise to the top for me. But I saw so many readers give this five stars and say that they they loved it and it was so moving and um, that they loved the narrative voice. And I also love that kind of first-person narrative voice of an, a grown narrator looking back on their childhood. But um, this one just, it didn't work for me. I liked it fine, but for me, it was not uh, one of the five best books of the year as the New York Times said it was. So this book is super, super hyped. I thought that the narrative voice was was good uh, and strong, although to me it got to be a little bit 
overdone and gimmicky as the book went on. And then I thought this one, it was really preachy, which so is Dickens. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what she was going for. And so maybe the book is succeeding at what it's setting out to do, but it didn't work for me. So that's why I chose this one. We have another category of our biggest disappointment later on. That's I, I almost put this one there, but I was like, eh, I don't know. It wasn't that huge of a disappointment. I wasn't sure I was going to love mm-hmm. this book. And I actually think that it's probably a successful book with what King Solver's trying to do. Um, but for me, it didn't quite live up to that best book of the year hype. I, I love this next superlative, and but I, I struggled to come up with one for this category, so I'm excited to hear what you would recommend as most likely to become a modern classic. Okay. I put two for this category again. My first is Trust by Hernan Diaz, which was definitely going to be on my best books of the year list. I loved this book, and it's so in line with like American novels. I mean, he's like channeling Henry James novels. He's definitely channeling some like Edith Wharton and even Gatsby vibes. Um, It's a book about money and wealth and class status and all of those things that are great American novel (laughs) uh, themes. But he does it so smartly and with this really inventive structural twist that makes it feel extremely modern. So I think the the structure will, um, I don't know, will help it become this kind of classic of of our time that's in conversation with, with books that are already classics. My other choice is Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, which is a super short book um, set in Ireland about a man who stumbles a upon a kind of secret, open secret in his his town and what he does about that. It's set maybe in a single day or a couple of days right around Christmas. I think because this book is like really heartfelt and uplifting and touches on virtues and morals and is a great story that's set around Christmas. I think this might be one that becomes a classic because people will pick it up seasonally. Um, and yeah, it's it's short, so more people are likely to read it. It's really good. I think you would like that one too. Yeah, I I have that one on my radar. Maybe I'll include that in my December reads for something really good to cap off the year. Yeah. How about you? What's so what'd you land on? <sighs> This is tough. I I don't always just want to automatically go to literary fiction when I hear the word classic because I think that's reductive. Um, but it is typically those are the books that really stand out to me where authors are experimenting, doing something new or echoing classics. And so those are the easiest to reach for. I just didn't read a lot of literary fiction over the last year. Um, but a book that I read and and loved and think is going to be a really popular book club book for a while here, and I could actually see it in a classroom setting, 
is The Many Daughters of Afong Moy by Jamie Ford. Did you read this one at all, Sarah? I didn't, but uh, his previous book, The Hotel at the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, is great and was taught in the school that I taught in. So i fully with you on this pick. I really liked it. Intergenerational story, lots of incredible historical detail woven in, including some... Um, he has like this neuroscience um, woven throughout it. I just thought it was a really interesting structure. And yeah, I've, I really, really, really liked it. I, I like that he has, uh, at least in the audiobook that I listened to, he introduces sort of the theme of the novel up front. Mm. So you go into it kind of knowing like this is what he's exploring and going for. You're not trying to figure that out as you go. And I do think that that reading experience can kind of lend itself to being a modern classic because you like know what you're getting into. You know, this is the theme that I am reading and exploring with the author. And I, re- I really, really liked it. Um, I believe that Annie B. Jones has recommended this a couple of times on From the Front Porch. So if you feel like your reading taste aligns with Annie, which Sarah, I feel like yours does, mm-hmm. um, I do recommend The Many Daughters of Afang Moy by Jamie Ford. I really liked it on audio as well. Great. All right. So we've talked about some hype books. How about like the best surprise for your reading life? I'm really excited to talk about this. This is probably my favorite thing to look for in my reading life at the end of every year. So my favorite surprise, the best surprise of my reading year in 2022 was Even Though I Knew the End by C.L. Polk, which is a novella. I listened to it on audio and it is a sapphic fantasy noir mystery. So there is a detective and she is, um, she sold her soul. And in order to get her soul back, she enters into this bargain and she has to solve a mystery about a serial killer. She has a girlfriend who she loves deeply and will do anything for. Um, and so that is a big motivation for her to get this done and to get her soul back. She also has a brother who is sort of um, on the other side of this fantastical angels versus demons kind of war that's going on. There is a lot of the magic in here is very, um, it's like heaven versus hell kind of magic. Those are the fantastical elements here. It's, it's really good. It's a nice, tight story, great historical detail, and I just thought it was fabulous. I listened to it on audio. I can't remember if I said that yet. Um, I think it pairs really, really well with The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, which we loved, which a lot of our book club members loved. And so I think if you liked the magic of that, even though I knew The End by C.L. Polk is another great one to pick up. And the cover is gorgeous for this one too. So that surprised me because I do not typically love fantasy. I read this right after finishing The Chosen and the Beautiful and loved it. And so it was just a nice a nice little surprise that I adored another speculative fiction um, work right away. That's not like me at all. 
I that sounds great. And I have that in my Libro queue. So I'm gonna push that to the top for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. My best surprise was Search by Michelle Hunovan, which was a recommendation from Alicia, who's one of our literature scholars over on Patreon. And this is a book. Did you read this? Not yet, but I would like to because I, I think I would like I it. I think you would. This is a book about a woman who's convinced to be on the search committee for hiring a new pastor at her Unitarian Universalist church. And the surprise was that I cared so much about (laughs) the outcome of this search. I mean, to me, like, this book is not a thriller. 100% is not a thriller. It does not sound like a page turner. I was reading this book, like, with my heart pounding because the way she writes these committee meeting scenes, like, if you've ever worked with another human being— you this these scenes will get under your skin because you know you you're watching these human dynamics the power plays people are trying to make you basically it's this kind of slow burn of watching like one willful person take over this committee and <laughs> try to like bend everyone to her will yeah it was so propulsive i could not put this book down. <laughs> I was so invested in the outcome of this search. And I I loved this book so much. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. It is Search by Michelle Hunnivan. And there's, also, there's tons of other fun little surprises throughout the book. Um, funny moments, um, heartfelt ones, recipes. And so I just think that there's a lot to discover, a lot to love with that one. Okay, Sarah, what about your biggest disappointment? I think this has more to do with your personal expectations rather than hype marketing expectations, expectations set by Bookstagram. This is just about like a book you expected something or you expected to love it and it fell quite short for you. Yeah, I'm really bummed about this one. I still am. It is Portrait of a Thief by Grace D. Lee. And I'm so bummed because I love heist movies. I just, I love heists. This book is about um, four young Chinese American, most of them are students, but they're, they're all like young adults who commit these art heists at museums around the world to give the art back to China. So it's like heist plus social commentary. It was like, this is going to be incredible. It just wasn't for me. It read very young adult to me. But the real disappointment was there were no heist details. Like, she just kind of (laughs) yada yada the heists. And I was like, no, I need them to be sitting there, like, planning everything, walking through what could go wrong. I I wanted all of that, and it just wasn't in there. I think it has gotten picked up to be a, a TV series. And... You can't yada yada the heists on the screen. No, so you need the montage <laughs> exactly. So I'm still really <laughs> excited to watch the the film or or TV version. But for me, that was my my disappointment and why. How about you? Maybe that'll be the rare TV show movie is better than the book. Maybe, for you. maybe, which is fun. That is fun. Yours has uh, also my, gotten picked up to be a television it has, series. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I. Yeah. I mean. I don't know that I will like that anymore because of the reasons that I didn't like the book. My biggest disappointment was Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And 
This was really disappointing to me because the premise, that gorgeous cover, all of the readers who loved it, who I I typically like would also love other books that they recommend. This was set up to be such a perfect read for me. And let me be clear, I finished it. Like I I read it. It was propulsive to me. I overall enjoyed the reading experience. But what really ruined it for me was just the way that Garmis um, compared her female characters in the book, especially physically. There was just a lot of um, fat phobia going on. And I just thought it could have been handled better. Um, we go into this in more detail. I think we're going to have to link that episode. I think it's, we talked about lessons in chemistry and book lovers and a couple of other, um, buzzy summer books. And so I go into more detail about it there, but yeah, it just, uh, that just wrecked the book for me and left me with an icky feeling. So I know so many people love this book and I really wanted to be one of them. Yeah. I, I, I'm still seeing this book on so many people's best of lists. I I completely agree with you and I'm really grateful that we had that conversation. She did have this kind of like, I don't know, tone of- you Not know, like other girls. Exactly, which I, I hate. And then mm-hmm. also this like, you know, not necessarily this like, you can tell how virtuous someone is by their appearance, but like if you work hard on like what you, I, I don't know. There was a little bit of that, that like, mm-hmm. I, I, which I really find quite icky. So I completely yeah. agree with you. All right. In a totally different vein, what was the most comforting book you read or the book that helped you through a hard time? It could be both or or either. Okay. Well, I I picked two books because I couldn't help it. I really loved Weather Girl by Rachel Lynn Solomon. This is a, a sweet romance. Um, it's still steamy. So sometimes I say sweet and people are like, oh, it's chaste. No, it's it's pretty steamy. But it's it was just a really lovely story. And this is one that I read pretty early postpartum. So um, I just, I it felt really good to finish a book. <laughs> and so I think that's a big reason why I found this book so comforting. It's got such a cute, sunny cover and it's just delightful. Um, so definitely, definitely that one. I love a good romance for comfort reading and Weather Girl was one of the best that I read this year. But then also Invisible Storm by Jason Kander really, um, really marks this year for me. Um, I am comfortable sharing because he's really comfortable sharing that my husband, Curtis, who has served in the military for the last 10 years or so, um, has PTSD. And um, the last year and a half has been really rough for both of us. And Invisible Storm by Jason Kander just like helped me recognize some things, um, helped me empathize and see what Curtis is going through and sort of like reasons behind it. Jason Kander is really, um, really vulnerable in this memoir. And I also really loved, he includes a few interspersed, um, sections from his wife 
And so she writes about her perspective and her experience with secondary PTSD, which is a thing. (laughs) Um, And so I really liked seeing that interspersed and being able to really identify with her. So Invisible Storm by Jason Kander, I think, um, because I also experienced some PTSD in the last year after a traumatic birth experience, I can say this book, if you have any sort of PTSD, it does not have to be specifically for military service. I highly recommend Invisible Storm. Um, But if you have a service member in your life, whether or not they're outwardly struggling, um, I think that this would make an excellent gift or recommendation for them. So um, it definitely is a book that helped through a hard time and I, I really liked it and recommend it. So that was Invisible Storm by Jason Kander. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that with us. I, I hope that it finds some people who could really find it of value. So, um, all right, mine are, I also have like one kind of like a hard time and one more comfort. So my first is A Ghost in the Throat by a poet whose Irish name I cannot pronounce. <laughs> um, but this was a book that I read, I think in January or February when um, Lou's reflux was really peaking and her just, her like sleeplessness and pain was just so challenging. And this book is not really about dealing with a challenging child, infant, but it is just about It's about motherhood and seeking one's identity within and outside of motherhood. It it repeats this phrase. This is a female text throughout the the memoir. It's kind of memoir, kind of novel. And it's about this mother and poet who becomes obsessed with a classic Irish ballad text and the way she like works with language and stories while also kind of seeking her own sense of, of her own womanhood. I, I just, I loved it. And I think that anyone who really is interested in language and storytelling would, would love it. It doesn't have to be just about the motherhood piece, but that I surely connected to. And then my other one is uh, the Penderwick series by Jean Birdsall which is four or five middle grade books about these four sisters who, well, I will say that in the second book, there's a really terrible scene about because they their mother has died. And you see that scene in the second book, which I was not prepared for. That wrecked me. But generally, <laughs> this book was, these the series was so charming. I The way... Uh, Jean Birdsall writes these child characters is just so endearing. I loved them so much. And I listened to these when Louise was, well, she's always going through some sort of sleep regression, it seems. But when she was going through a particularly challenging one, and I would be like, you know, rocking her and nursing her and walking around with her. And I would just put this in my ears and it would really help me calm down, which would help her calm down. And it was lovely. So that's the Penderwicks. But if you um, are, you know, a sensitive reader, I would just say, skip the first chapter of book two, just skip it. (laughs) My goodness. Yes. I'm glad for that heads up. (laughs) Okay. Sarah, these next two categories 
are, they kind of go together. We have best characters and best dislikable or unlikable characters. So what were some of the best characters you encountered in your reading life this year? Okay. My, mine is, um, a book that, well, it will be out by the time this episode drops. Um, it's a December 6th release by, um, Pulitzer Prize winner, Jane Smiley. But don't let that scare you because this is a very genre-y book. It's a dangerous business. And it is a book about, it's about Eliza and Jean, two hookers with hearts of gold living in Monterey, California during the gold rush. They're obsessed with- I love it. Yeah, you are going to love this book. They're obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe. They love to read Poe's mysteries together and talk about them. Eliza, in particular, is a very avid reader. the The title, "A Dangerous Business," is like about. There's a quote that starts the novel that it's a dangerous business to be a woman, but also loved the way this was kind of like a, a workplace drama, even though it's in like a whorehouse. Like Eliza talked about her colleagues and stuff in just this really kind of charming way. Um, but then young women start to be found murdered. And Eliza and Jean, using everything they know from Edgar Allan Poe, decide they are going to solve these mysteries. This book is fantastic. It's 225 pages, super short. The characters are so winning and charming, and I just adored it. So I think, I know I'm like... I feel like I'm telling you that you should add all of these books to your December reading list. (laughs) But this might be my number one pick for you because I also think it pairs really well with Lonesome Dove, which, yeah. So, which is my best characters book because, yes, of course. How could it not be? (laughs) It's so good. Um, And the majority of what we talked about on that episode and in book club was character. And it's not just that those are the best characters. Like, I loved the characters, which I did love a few of the characters. Not all of them. But even the characters that I didn't love, I cared to know what would happen to them. I wanted to know more about them. I wanted more backstory. It's just, like, best character writing goes to Lonesome Dove and Larry McMurtry. So, fantastic. Lonesome Dove really does have fabulous characters. But that doesn't just mean that it's character-driven. It is character-driven in some ways, yes, but it is like an exciting page-turning book. So I loved Lonesome Dove. That's like if I had to pick one book of the year that I was like, wow, I'm so glad that I read that. And it's a a favorite. It might be Lonesome Dove kind of defined the reading year for me. It was so so good. I I totally agree. How about favorite unlikable, dislikable characters of the year? I thought The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo fits this category really well. I didn't find any of those characters particularly likable, um, even though they're all quite compelling. I think in particular, the way that Nevo writes Daisy is like, you shouldn't like her. (laughs) Um, But it's just like fabulously written character work there. And it's like familiar characters who are not 
necessarily great. So I I think The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo. I think that's a great pick. I, I completely agree. I, you know, I kind of struggled with this one. I feel like I usually read more books with markedly unlikable characters. And this year I just didn't. Either that or maybe I've just lost my radar for characters that other people find unlikable. I don't know. I mean, I mm-hmm. guess like even in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, like those characters at times are unlikable. I, but I, I don't know. Anyways, I'm going with When We Lost Our Heads by Heather O'Neill, which is a book that did not get the love and attention it deserves um, and has a great cover. So I encourage everyone to check this one out. Um, but it is, it's a retelling of the French Revolution with these like two girls who are childhood best friends and then it follows them into adulthood. Really three girls. One is not one of the best friends, but I mean, one of the girls is Marie Antoine, who's our Marie Antoinette (laughs) stand-in. These are unlikable characters, (laughs) but they're also very well-drawn. It's set in... um, like a Gilded Age Quebec, and revolves around the politics of this small town and the sugar factory that is the the place of employment for almost everyone there. It's funny. And like the book, the marketing copy describes it as like a book about innocence and depravity. And it really is. Like there, you'll know after the first scene if this is a book you want to read or not, because it's like pretty salacious and, but it's wild and weird. And I thought really well-written and a very interesting retelling and exploration of gender with some characters who are at times truly atrocious. (laughs) So that's When We Lost Our Heads by Heather O'Neill. What about a book that kept you thinking the longest or that sort of lived on with you in your reading life long after you read it? I mean, so the book I chose, I only read in October. So it's not totally fair to choose this book. I would say, I mean, I would say Lonesome Dove and A Ghost in the Throat are books that I would certainly, could have certainly chosen for this category. But I know that I'm going to keep thinking about this one too. It's Frankenstein in Baghdad by Ahmed Sadawi. And I I loved reading it. It was not one of our novel pairing selections, but I did read it during our conversations around adaptations and retellings. And I think I got a lot more out of it because of that. But this is a book, it's definitely not a like straight Frankenstein reimagining or retelling, but it is about an Iraqi man who is trying to show his government that the, you know, as the street is kind of strewn with with body parts, that these are these were human people, and so he stitches together a corpse, and then the corpse goes missing, and these mysterious murders start happening. And it was just it, it was very much somebody in my fiction matters book club compared it to Beloved, and it that's a great comparison because it definitely has a sort of magical element that is very allegorical for uh, you know the. The, the way the way war and violence impact a, a community and kind of take on lives of their own. Um, I'm definitely going to be thinking about it for a long time, in part because it it was so 
visceral, but also because there was a lot of it that I didn't understand. And so it's just kind of still percolating in there, like trying to figure out what he was doing. Um, It was a really profound book that I wouldn't recommend to every person, but um, I think for me was, was, I'm glad I read it for sure. So that's Frankenstein in Baghdad. How about you? I, I mean, I still think about this book, but I think it's just ripe for discussion and thought, The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green, where he reviews but is really writing exploratory essays about various things in his life, um, from food items to the town where he lives to uh, works of literature or art or human experiences. And I listened to this one on audio, which I think is absolutely a great way to go since John Green narrates it himself. And he's a YouTuber, podcaster, just has a has a great voice for his own work. Um, it's, it is incredibly thought-provoking, I think, just because he explores the human experience in such a unique way. And I think it's fun to think about, okay, what are some of the things in my life that I would review, um, which you've been doing in your newsletter. You've been giving, it was it your month that you give mm-hmm. five out of five stars. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Anthropocene reviewed almost always, it's going to be an essay collection for me that keeps me thinking the longest. Yeah. I, this book was so great. I, I also loved it. And yeah, as you said, very influenced by it. Cause I'm doing it in my, my newsletter. All right. How about, and, and I feel like these two are somewhat connected. Um, what was what's a, the most discussable book you read this year? I think Dinosaurs by Lydia Millette is highly discussable. I listened to this one on audio. It's a pretty short book. Not a whole lot happens. Um, it's very interior and it's kind of odd. Um, it's kind of a character study and it's about a family and their next door neighbor and just like human relationships. And I think it's highly discussable because it's, there isn't a ton that happens. Um, I think that you can project a lot onto these characters and the ending I think is highly discussable as well. So, yeah, I don't really want to say too much more about it, but I did really like it. And yeah, Dinosaurs by Lydia Millette, I think would make for a fun discussion. I loved this book. It's going to be one of my best of the year as well. And and I agree. And part of, I think, what would make it so discussable is like, I loved it and it's hard for me to articulate why. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I don't want to, it, it almost makes me feel weird for loving yeah. it because it's, an odd book. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun one. Yeah. Mine is Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro, which is a a family story that moves back and forth in time. I think it would be really discussable because it's a lot about not fate, but like the impact of our, our choices and the way we as individual people kind of see ourselves in these these isolated bubbles making our own choices, but how those choices radically impact other characters or other other people. And one of the things that I loved in this book is 
her characters think about that idea in a in a way that feels very authentic. Um, and it's not preachy, I don't think. I mean, it is like philosophical and there's a little bit of mysticism that some people might find over the top. But I liked that, like, for example, one of the characters thinks about how, you know, we're all made of of stardust, et cetera, and we're all interconnected in this like very lovely, beautiful way. And then another character thinks like, oh, you know, our lives are just like, you know, 10 car pileups on the highway. Like one person stops and doesn't, and then the the impact like back and back and back is, it has this huge effect. And I just, something small like that was like, wow, two really different ways to think about the same concept. And so I think there's just a ton to discuss in this book, both in terms of the characters and what they do throughout the story and the larger themes that she's playing with. So Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro is my pick. All right, Chelsea, this one's always fun. What is yes one of your favorite under the radar picks of the year? Okay, and this is one of my favorite just books of the year, period. But A Certain Appeal by Vanessa King. This is a contemporary romance. It's a Pride and Prejudice retelling, and it is set in a New York City burlesque club. And you sent me this book, and I've been, like, saving it. I don't know what I'm saving it for, Chelsea. I need to just read it. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like it's it's not a traditional Sarah book. It's like when when you're in the mood for something fun, which I know is like you get that rare hit of like, <laughs> I, I just want a fun, light, breezy read, right? But because it is a Pride and Prejudice retelling, that's why I think like, yes, it is, it is for you. But what I love about it is Yes, it's a Pride and Prejudice retelling. And so you get the Lizzie Darcy romance and it's sizzling on the page. Okay. But the family is a big part of this book. And instead of having the Bennett family be a like actual relative family unit, it's a found family at this burlesque club. That's which is just amazing. Oh, I love super that. Super sweet. And there's a there's a big emphasis on that. So I, I think it's so clever. It's so clever. It's one of my favorite Pride and Prejudice retellings. Oh, wow. That Okay, that means a lot. I'm going to have to pick this up. Yeah. I should do and it. It's like glamorous and yeah, glitzy. Like yeah. read it on New Year's Eve and it's perfect. Okay, perfect. I love that. <laughs> uh, mine could not be more different. <laughs> um, <laughs> my most under the radar pick is The Long Answer by Anna Hoagland. Um, and Anna... Full disclosure, she reached out to me, the author, on on Instagram and asked if I would be willing to read her book. The book was put out by Riverhead, but I didn't see like any marketing push. I was not offered a, a copy when it came out, et cetera. And so um, I, w- I was really interested in reading it because it's described as a stunning novel of secrets kept and secrets shared deeply empathetic and hugely absorbing. It's about female friendships, sisterhood, motherhood, and grief. And oh, this book, it it was a tough read, but I really loved it. And that this might be why it was under the radar. Like it certainly is a book you have to pick up at at the right time. So 
I guess it's autofiction is what I would call it, or definitely there's some metafiction. The main character's name is Anna. She's a writer. And um, she is newly pregnant. And she's also, she, in addition to sharing like this, her own pregnancy journey, um, she shares kind of stories she hears from other women, whether it's from her sister or a woman she meets at a prenatal yoga class, all about like their experiences with pregnancy. Major, major trigger warnings in this book for pregnancy loss, uh, for um, infant death and and for and I think the book you know really speaks to our present moment too um, with Roe v. Wade being um, eradicated and the reasons some women choose or may need abortion as medical care. Like this book covers all of that. So if that sounds like you are not in a place to read this book, do not read this book. <laughs> but I also found this book as somebody who's experienced a miscarriage that really like one of the like best depictions of, of that and like getting at so many of the feelings there um, that I've encountered on, on the page. And what else I love, the other thing I loved about the book is just how she kind of explores this idea of the way we come to understand motherhood through the lens of other women's experience with it and how it's so isolating, but also like you can't help but projecting your own views onto other mothers and other pregnant women and how th- what they do impacts the way you see it. It's really beautifully done in in that regard. So I I just loved it. The title comes from at one point, Anna is talking to another woman and she says, do you have kids? And she knows she shouldn't have asked that. And the woman starts like telling her whole life story and Anna starts getting a little bored. And the woman says, I'm giving, I'm answering your question. I'm just giving you the long answer. And I love that title and, and how cleverly she's exploring. It's not just a, you know, one word answer do you have kids or do you want them? Or like there, there's so much, there's so much involved with that decision and or non-decision or experience. And so she really touched on a lot here and I think she did a really good job with it. So that, that was my long explanation of the long answer by Anna Hoagland. Okay, Sarah, we only have a couple categories left. This one, so this one was actually tough for me because since so many of these books that we've talked about already, I listened to an audio, it was tough for me to pick the best audio experience. So what was your best audiobook experience of the year? Yeah, I, I struggled with this one too for the same reasons. I tried to pick two books that I felt like were really, really enhanced by the audio, like wouldn't have been the same without it. So my first one is The Trees by Percival Everett, which is a darkly comic comedic book um, about two detectives trying to solve like racial hate crimes. And it's like laugh out loud funny intentionally, but I don't know if I would have really gotten there <laughs> had I not mm. been listening to it on audio. I do think the book has some the, some graphic violence, so that might make it hard for other people to listen to it on audio if you like to just kind of skip, let your eyes skim over that. But for me, the audio really enhanced whatever it was doing with this absolutely incredible book. 
The other is Lucy by the Sea by Elizabeth Strout and narrated by Kimberly Farr. Kimberly Farr has narrated all of Elizabeth Strout's Lucy books, and her voice is Lucy's voice to me. And so listening to this novel in which Lucy and her ex-husband William escape a early COVID pandemic New York and go to Maine, I just, I felt like I was with friends hearing their story of early COVID because I had read so much from Lucy's perspective and listened to Kimberly Farr reading so much from Lucy's perspective. So that was just a really special experience. How about you? Even though I have read Recitative by Toni Morrison, um, this is a short story. I had read it before, but Bonnie Turpin narrates it. And so I was like, yes, I have to reread. And Bonnie Turpin is such a good narrator. And so I just felt like I got so much out of my reread via listening. So I loved that one. And then recently I had a four hour drive and I listened to Have I Told You This Already by Lauren Graham. This is her second collection of essays that just released pretty recently. And it was just such a lovely book to listen to while driving. I just like it felt like I had an older, wiser friend sitting next to me in the car, just like chatting with me. She's very, um, her narration style is very friendly and casual. And so it was just delightful. And I don't think I would have loved the essays as much on paper as I did in her voice, like with her humor and inflection. So, um, those two were really great audiobook experiences that I don't think I would have gotten as much out of if I had read them on paper. Do I need to have read Lauren Graham's previous book to pick up no. with this one? Okay. All right. No, uh, usually she, usually she, not in a memoir, but I feel like even with like the Mary Laura Philpot, I feel like my yeah. experience with Bomb Shelter was enhanced by having read her previous memoir. Lauren Graham does reference her first memoir a couple of times, but it has been so long since I have read it that it's almost like I haven't hadn't read it at all. So I don't I don't think you need to. Okay, great. All right. Well, I know we've already like told each other throughout books that we think <laughs> are would be specifically great for the other person, but. Um, Our last category is book you'd recommend to each other. So, Chelsea, what should I read? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have two because I cannot help it. Um, I think that you should read Now Is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. And I actually have and I loved it. But tell me why you you did. Okay. But tell me why you think it's for me because I'm so I'm glad. I'm glad I picked another one because I wasn't sure. I think it pairs perfectly with tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in terms of it's a coming of age story about art and creation and collaboration. I think that they are two books in conversation with each other. So it's mostly because you loved tomorrow times three so much, but also you really love coming of age stories and um, like just quirky characters sometimes hit the right notes for you. Um, And I really liked the narration. Jennifer Goodwin narrates it. Did you listen to 
the audiobook or did you actually no, read it? No, I actually paper? read it and I'm kind of tempted to I, I mean there's so many things I want to read that I don't yeah. uh, think I'll get around to but I've heard that the audio is fantastic and so yeah, I I would like to. Okay, the other one Sarah is middle grade. I listened to this audiobook and I loved it. It is Echo Mountain by Lauren Wolk. And it's a story of the Great Depression. And so this family, they used to live in town. And the father, um, I believe he was a musician or created instruments. The details are kind of fuzzy for me. The, The mother was a teacher. And so anyway, they had this like life in town. But they lose all their money, and so they go and move and live in the mountains. And um, so this is mostly about the young girl who is, she actually really, really loves living on the mountain, but the rest of her family misses their life back home. Um, Her father had a severe accident, which has rendered him in a coma. Um, And so they are taking care of him at home and waiting for him to wake up. She goes up the mountain and meets um, a mysterious woman. And it's very, it's it's realistic fiction. There isn't any magic here. It reminds me a little bit of Willa Cather. And so I think that you would enjoy it. Um, I know that you like some cozy middle grade, but like with deep emotions. And this is this is a really good one. So Echo Mountain by Lauren Wolk. I think that you would like it. Okay, that does sound great. I and I haven't even heard of it. So, I'm excited to pick that up. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you might have read one or both of my picks for you too, but um these are things that um I read at, towards the beginning of the year and when I was looking through my list, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if Chelsea's read that. I think she'd love it for both of these." And then I added this category cuz I wanted to recommend them to you. <laughs> so, um <laughs> Have you read These Precious Days by Ann Patchett? I haven't. Okay. I think you would love it. I don't know if you like Ann Patchett's fiction, but I'm not sure that it matters. This is a memoir in essays. And I, I mean, it's really, I actually, it's more of just an essay collection. It's not like, there's not one thread that really goes throughout. Although she was kind of inspired um, or to write this uh, she wrote this like cornerstone essay for the New Yorker, which was about, she's, she's like friends with Tom Hanks because he narrated her audiobook. His assistant had cancer and during, uh, the height of COVID her, her name is Suki. She came to live with Ann Patchett because Ann lived close to this hospital where she could get experimental treatment. So she wrote this about like, you know, just this very intense friendship that forms at this very in, intense time. And so there, I guess, you know, the the theme of the book is, is preciousness, these moments in life that seem mundane, but really turn out to be formative. There's an amazing chapter about why she uh, prefers to be a bookseller to an English teacher and how being a bookseller is like all the best parts about being an English teacher and none of the worst parts, <laughs> which I loved. Um, but there's also, I didn't know that Patchett was uh, was a practicing Catholic, but there's a lot in the book about her faith and some reckoning with faith. And I just, I think a lot of it would connect with with you and um, 
just other parts I think you'd just appreciate the writing. So I think you would like that a lot. And then my other book is a romance series, romance slash mystery series. The first book is Slippery Creatures by K.J. Charles. Have you read this? No, but I'm excited that you bring it up because I just saw, I think it was yesterday, K.J. Charles posted on Instagram, this book is free right now. I don't know how long it will last. So by the time this episode comes out, it might not be. So I downloaded it to my Kindle for free. Oh, So I have it ready and waiting for me. Oh, great. Well, I'm not going to tell you really anything about it except the like one sentence description, a 1920s male-to-male romance trilogy in the spirit of golden age pulp fiction. And I think you would just love it. It's charming. It sounds like... Yeah, it sounds perfect. And there's the, well, I just told you I wasn't going to tell you anything bad about it. Here I go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the the main character, Will Darling, he it has returned from World War One with some PTSD. And so he's also working through that. And so there is a lot of depth here in a, in a, in a manner that you might connect with. Um, and there's, there's mystery and um, it's it's a lot of fun. The setting is is great, and the writing really, I think, mirrors that pulp fiction in a really fun way. So you'll have to let me know what you think. Yeah, I'm excited to read it. I love that category. That's a fun way to end the episode, Sarah. That is fun. I mean, we're going to talk about more superlatives for our Patreon community later. We have. Um, some things that we just didn't have time for <laughs> and we're excited to share more over there. So if you want to hear more of our superlatives, head on over to patreon.com slash novel pairings and sign up. You can get uh, some extra book recommendations and take advantage of all of our backlog of bonus episodes and the book talk that we mentioned throughout as well as classes, etc. We have all kinds of good stuff for you over on Patreon. Yeah. And we have annual subscriptions now. We just opened those up so you can get annual subscriptions at a discounted price. So rather than paying month to month for a discount, which is, it amounts to like about a month free, you can join us for the whole year and you can cancel at any time. Don't worry. Um, but that annual subscription just saves you a little bit of money and, um, allows us to kind of budget for our business for the year as well. So we would love to see you over on Patreon. For our announcements and other important updates, make sure you are subscribed to novelpairings.substack.com. Our Substack newsletter is where we often send out calendars and event reminders. Um, It's just, it's the best place to go and get all of that stuff. So make sure you are subscribed to our Substack. We'll have a link in our show notes and follow us at Novel Pairings Pod on Instagram. Thank you to everyone who over the course of this year has written such sweet reviews for our show on both Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Those fresh words boost novel pairings in the algorithms so that new literary listeners can find our show. If you haven't taken the time to write a few words about why you love novel pairings, please do so as we enter the new year and set goals for reaching more listeners. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next time, we'll be back to share our plans for the spring semester. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. 
how much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. Thank you.